Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise. Lord, that you have revealed yourself through creation and given us to us your word. And as we look out in the world and the wickedness that surrounds for those who forsake your word and your law, that we would seek to be able to rejoice, that your statutes would be our songs in our house of our sojourning, that we would remember your name in the night as we seek to be able to keep and hold fast to your promises found through Jesus Christ. That as we see the many blessings which have befallen us, that you would receive all glory, power, and honor. Let us understand these glorious blessings and benefits found through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Mediator. Apply them to us through the work of the Spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 2, verses um, 25 to 30. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger, and minister to my need. For he has long been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, for the word of our Lord will stand forever. Imagine the, the great family reunion, and you start to be able to go through the line that is before you, start to be able to shake hands and greet people, And you know of all the stories that you've heard in the past. You know all the names that have been mentioned. You go through and imagine now it's not the family reunion of people who bear your last name, but it's people who worship the same God. And you go through and you meet people in heaven and you're able to say, well, I know who Abraham is. I know Isaac and Jacob. I know Joseph. I know know, who David is. I know who Solomon is, or whoever it might be, and you get to be able to know the disciples of Peter, you know his story, you know John and his story, you know Paul and his story, and and you get to start to get to greet some of the people, and you start shaking hands, and eventually you meet a young boy called Timothy, and of course you know who Timothy is. You might even remember his grandparents and, and grandmother and 
mother's name of Eunice and Lois who might be standing beside him. And you say you read so much about them in the Bible and you are so encouraged by what they have done and how they have sought and worshipped the Lord. And then you come along a man and he introduces himself and his name is Epaphroditus. And your name goes blank. He says, well, I'm in the Bible and I did great things and yet you don't know much about him. Actually, we, we get to know much about Epaphroditus from this passage today. And often we think in this rich time in church history, we can think of two or three or four people, maybe a handful of people that serve the Lord faithfully, carrying out the message, but that is not true. Actually, when you delve deeper into the Scriptures, actually what you find is there's many faithful men and women who serve the Lord who are able to be able to uh, carry out the Lord and minister to those. Epaphroditus is one of these people. So if you ever uh, get to meet him in heaven, and hopefully you would be able to know at least who he is um, and understand a little bit more about him. So what does this passage teach us about Epaphroditus? The first is, who was Epaphroditus? Paul mentions here, that Epaphroditus is a brother at first. He's Paul's brother in Christ. And here we see a great image rooted in the truth of the, the foundational doctrine of the adoption that Christians adopted are adopted into God's family. They're adopted by the Father through the Son, sealed with a guarantee by the Holy Spirit. As this Holy Spirit works in the, the new believer's heart, he is able then to be able to cry out, Abba, Father. And thus this image is, is, permeates throughout all of the New Testament Scripture and is one of the most common phrases that is used of that of brothers and sisters in Christ. And here Paul, as he mentions Epaphroditus and how he seeks to be able to send Epaphroditus to the church in Philippi, Paul mentions that he is a brother, a brother in arms. Arms, And here Paul does not refer to himself and mention that he is an apostle in the book of Philippians. He opens the opening chapter that he is a servant with, Christ, uh, with Timothy of Christ Jesus. And a glorious truth that as we seek to be able to serve the Lord in his church, that we are brothers and sisters. Serving our Father. That in the church we are found in many different cultures and backgrounds, families, and yet we are united through Christ. That what draws us together is that we have more in common because of Christ's blood than the blood that flows through with our DNA. That God is able to draw many people from many backgrounds to be able to call them a family together. How comforting that is for those who, who have a true sense of a family in this world as they worship the Lord together. But how much more of a comfort it is for those who have a distant family, those who the family has maligned and thrown off and said, I do not want to be a part with you. 
And yet the church arms wrap their arms around them and say, you are a part of our family. That your family dwells in heaven. The second thing that Paul says and teaches us about Epaphroditus is that Epaphroditus is a fellow worker of Christ. Just as there is no lone rangers as a Christian, there shouldn't therefore be no lone rangers as Christians who serve in ministry. That here Paul, although he writes a large portion of our New Testament Scripture, as although he has a great, tremendous testimony, a spokesman for the faith who would stand before rulers and leaders, he probably is, is posted on many uh, newspapers that go around in the first century. He realizes that he is but a worker. There are many laborers in the Father's vineyard, all seeking to be able to tend his vines, or many shepherds in the Father's fields, all seeking to be able to tend Christ's sheep, sheep, that they might be able to see the fruit, the growth, the protection. Again, we must truly understand Paul's humility in this book of Philippians. In these statements that he sees himself not in boasting, but he sees himself as a servant along others who are serving Christ as their Lord. Third thing we learn about Epaphroditus is that he is a fellow soldier of Christ. Again, Paul gives this glorious image in in just a few words. He teaches us much about ministry. And what it is to be able to serve in some form of leadership capacity. Here, the image of that is not of a vineyard tending, not of a, a shepherd looking after the flock, but of that of a soldier in warfare. Christ promises that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. But the promise doesn't then mean that the gates of hell will not try. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul charges Timothy and he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Here Paul realizes here of what he is stuck in prison and there is a real enemy out there seeking to be able to attack all of what he is trying to be able to do. There's an enemy trying to stop him proclaiming the good news of the gospel. What is clear is that enemy is not of flesh and blood, as Paul writes in Ephesians, or in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where he says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That he understands the church ministry is that of going forth and proclaiming the good news of the gospel which penetrates the deepest and darkest of hearts, causing the stoniest of hearts to beat for Christ. The fourth thing that we learn about Epaphroditus is that he is a Philippian ministry, a missionary for Christ. In Philippians chapter 4, we learn that that here Paul received full payment 
that he had received from this church in Philippi, that he's well supplied. And this gift came through the hands of Epaphroditus. The gifts which were sent by this church, this fragrant offering, is this sacrifice that was acceptable and pleasing to God. And so Epaphroditus was a member of this church in Philippi, and he's sent, therefore, to where Paul is in prison to be able to send this gift given by this church. Great joy can be found, and I'm sure as Paul is unsure of even what is to come in the uncertain days which lie ahead, he hopes, he desires to return back to Philippi, but he does not show, know for sure. But here you imagine that story which goes back all the way to Acts chapter 16 as they walk into Philippi and they hear and meet of this Bible study happening along the, the, the river with Lydia, and, and yet this church is born and formed and the Philippian jailer who his whole household becomes and turns to faith. And now this church which he had gone and ministered to is now sending and ministering to him. The circle of the church and the life. The missionaries and ministers are coming from converts. Such as Timothy who was a new believer in Derby, Or Epaphroditus who now is seeking to be able to minister to Paul even as we will see. And what is interesting is that Paul does not call himself an apostle in the book of Philippians, but here Epaphroditus is. And we need to be careful to be able to just merely label every word in the same semantic range. So it doesn't necessarily mean that here Epaphroditus is an apostle in, in the terms of an office, but what it does mean is that he is one that has been sent out has been sent out from this church in Philippi. And the fifth and final thing that we learn about Epaphroditus is that he's Paul's minister pointing to Christ. But lastly, Paul sees Epaphroditus as a minister to himself. Again, Paul is not boastful and proud and arrogant, thinking he is a class above his own, that he is able to stand there and he needs no one to minister to him. He needs no brother to stand beside him, no soldier to fight beside him. He needs no uh, worker in the vineyard. But quite humbly, Paul even says that he is one who has been ministered to by Epaphroditus. That he himself needs to be ministered to. When you think of all the glorious statements that here Paul mentions or even contemplate, you read through Romans and you think about how he ministers and comforts to us through his words as he's inspired through the Holy Spirit, then nothing but the love of God, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And yet here Paul has been comforted and ministered to by another. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul mentions of Articus and Mark and Jesus called Justice. And these men of circumcision. And Paul says that they have comforted him. Paul, those 
man who wrote these glorious chapters that we would turn to that would comfort us in days of trouble and darkness. He was then comforted by others as others ministered to him. It's hard to believe that someone like Paul needed someone to remind him of Christ. Remind him of that hope which we have. But yet, this is what Epaphroditus does to Paul. So what can we learn from all of this in Epaphroditus? I think quite simply, we learn that the church does not need superheroes. What we need is not men who are writing large volumes of works that are inspired, that will carry not inspired in the Holy Spirit sense, but in, in the sense that they, they carry and, and help others in their walk. But faithful men and women, serving God, ministering to those around them, hopping in the trenches and fighting, going into the vineyard and planting and watering and picking. So what we need is faithful men and women as brothers and sisters, harvesters and workers, soldiers sent on a mission and ministering to one another. A great image of the church here in this one man, Epaphroditus. But also we need to notice one essential thing that flows through all of these. All of these are united. What unites Epaphroditus to Paul is not merely happenstance, but is their union to Christ. They're only brothers because of Christ. They're only workers because of Christ. They're only soldiers because of Christ. They're only sent on mission because of Christ. They can only minister because of Christ. And when we think and we seek to be able to elevate men and women above that and we forget that Christ is the glue that holds us all together, we are the body of the members and it is Christ that joins us. He is the head. It's all based on our relationship with Christ. Epaphroditus by himself has no comfort to give, no fruit to be able to pick, unless it is Christ working. That we come underneath his rule and reign, faithfully serving him. The second thing that we can learn about Epaphroditus in this passage is what happened to him. So what happened to Epaphroditus? We find out that he was sick. He was so sick that he was near to death. Now, this is one of the major points that Paul is seeking to be able to make in this section of Scripture, going back all the way to verse 27 in chapter 1, where he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether you are come and see you or or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here there's division that has crept into the church, Eunuchy and Syndiki, Eutyche and Syndiki, in chapter 4. And Paul is, is calling them all to be able to have the mind of Christ, just as, as their union to Christ is what makes them brothers and soldiers and workers and missionaries and ministers. It is the church union to Christ in his humiliation and his exaltation. That here, 
Timothy is just like Christ as he is a humble servant seeking to be able to serve Christ and his people. And Epaphroditus is a humble servant willing to be able to risk his life. He's not merely doing this. uh, He didn't merely die just because of bad health. You see this in verse 30 where he says that he nearly died for what reason? For the work of Christ. He risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus goes to be able to serve the Lord and what it brings him to is a near-death experience. And quite often, the analogy in the Scriptures is that ministry is exactly like that death. In 2 Corinthians, Paul makes a point of him going to be a servant, him going unto preaching the gospel. And he says in verse 11, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. The life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Who says he puts his, his life on the line for ministry's sake so that life may be shown forth. And this is exactly what ministry is. Service and sacrifice. Service and sacrifice. And now backwards, people often think of this. They think of ministry as something to to be lifted up and upheld and, and, and sought after. But that's not ministry in the Bible. Ministry is following that role of Christ Jesus who descended. Put his life on the line. This is the measure of that of a husband's love for his wife is not of his, his arrogance or his proudness or how great he is. Husbands are told to be able to love your wives and the example is that of Christ Jesus. Particularly that of Christ Jesus and how he gave himself up for her. Service and sacrifice. But we need to understand that this sacrifice and this service always has the ultimate purpose. Not merely that Christ merely just died, he died to be able to save. Paul goes on in Ephesians to be able to explain that a husband serves ultimately to be able to sanctify his wife by washing her in the word. So not merely just throwing your life on the line is not ministry in of itself. Ministry, as Paul says, dying for Christ's sake. Death ministry is not throwing yourself on the sword for any reason, but it's you do so that the word might be preached and proclaimed as you point unto Christ. But we also notice that Epaphroditus, he was near death, but he did not die. That he was saved from death by God's mercy. Now Paul points out this is good for him. Good for Epaphroditus that he did not die. Of course that's a good thing, right? Well, what Paul often focuses on here is not only God's mercy upon Epaphroditus, but also uh, God's mercy on Paul 
He says, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow. Again, Paul is shown this mercy from God in, in the form of health restored to Epaphroditus. Paul, who, who earlier said that to live is, is gain, but to die is Christ. He seems more willing and ready to be able to die himself than it was for Epaphroditus to die. Again, it shows the reality of Paul is not some super robot of theological strength. But here, the need of Epaphroditus to be able to comfort him and help him. That he was still there to be able to help him and to give him strength. The person who wrote that, that we shouldn't be uninformed, but those who are asleep, that we grieve, but we don't grieve without any hope. But yet the reality is that we still grieve. We still have lost. And here the mercy is shown to Paul by God not taking Epaphroditus. You think even of Christ at the tomb of Lazarus, filled with tears in his eyes. As he knows he's about to resurrect him from the grave. And yet the depths of sorrow still overcome him. And so much that Epaphroditus is a brother and a worker and a soldier, one sent a comforter to Paul, that he even understands that this is God's great mercy to him. That his absence would have filled the great apostle. Paul with great sorrow. Now this is also important when we think about Paul as he says to us that we are to rejoice always. That here rejoicing as, as Paul defines it is not merely a rejoicing is, is not the absence of sorrow. But rejoicing is based in our union and our truth and our understanding of who Christ is, not only in his humiliation, but also his exaltation as rooted in Christ. But lastly, we learn about Epaphroditus in this passage is where was he going? Paul says at the very beginning in verse 25 that he has thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And specifically here in verse 29, Paul tells of the Philippians that they should receive him and rejoice seeing him. Why would the Philippians not rejoice when they see him? Was Epaphroditus some problem member that they sent to Paul to be able to fix and he comes back and he's still broken? Did the church merely just send him, not only to send that support, but also to be a missionary permanently? Again, what a great image of this healthy church in Philippi is not only thinking of their own walls, but seeking to be able to see more Christians and more churches planted as they support Paul and his work and his missionary, but also send Epaphroditus to be able to help him. 
not only Philippians would rejoice, but that Paul would be less anxious. Again, there's somewhat of a selfish aspect here. Paul was, did not want to lose Epaphroditus, but yet he is willing to be able to send him off. But I think it's a very realistic aspect. Again, the effect of Paul, this desire of Epaphroditus to be able to be a missionary. But yet maybe there's some physical limitations that came from his sickness and his illness. That no longer he would be able to travel with Paul or be with Paul. Maybe it required more rest. Maybe it required more ability. But it doesn't ultimately change who Epaphroditus is. He was sent to Paul to minister to them, and now he is sent to the church in Philippi to minister to them as well. The same ministry, just in a different location. And ultimately, Paul says to the Philippian church that you would receive him. I think this is quite important to be able to understand. Paul is spelling out to the church in Philippi that Epaphroditus is not a failure. The church shouldn't see him as merely just getting sent back or rejected, but as the providence of God would have it that Epaphroditus is back in your midst. Not only that they would receive him, but they would honor him and other men like it. That great illustration, which is Paul is spelling out in this mind, to be able to have that mind among you, which is that of Christ Jesus of Christ's humiliation and his exaltation, just as as Epaphroditus was humble like Christ in, in what he sought to be able to do, now honor Epaphroditus, not as a failure, but as one who has carried out this service and sacrifice unto the Lord. That Epaphroditus is that person who has that mind of that of Christ Jesus. That he nearly died for the work of Christ. Christ risking his life to complete was, was lacking in your service to me. That here we should seek to be able to honor those who sacrifice so much for Christ and his church. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, We ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul says a very blatant thing here. Respect those who labor among you, who are over you, but who admonish you. With joy, thank you for correcting me. Thank you for opening the Bible and convicting me through the Spirit. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, let the elders who rule be well, be, uh, well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. You're the elders that rule, rule well, who seek to be able to point you to Christ in all aspects, encourage you, exhort you. Show them that honor. In Hebrews chapter 13, where the apostle, the author says that you're to remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. 
Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. They continue, he continues in verse 17, Obey the leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Not only they are to honor the leaders, but also that they should pray that the leaders would act honorably as well. That they would see themselves under Christ in that life of service and sacrifice, replicating Christ as they have that same mind amongst themselves. To be able to give God all glory, power, and honor. That you would lift them up in prayer. What a great example it is as we read about in these very few verses the life of a man who sought to be able to have that mind of Christ Jesus Epaphroditus. That we would too have that same echo and faith of devotion, of dedication, desiring to be able to seek, to be able to follow that of Christ Jesus. That he would deliver us also. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that throughout your scriptures you have pointed us to men and women of great faith. And so too you have scattered throughout your word of men who might not have a large portion of scripture dedicated to them. But Lord, yet they still are written in your scripture as an example for us. Lord, as we look unto a man like Epaphroditus who sought to be able to serve you through sacrifice and service, having the mind of Christ Jesus, we pray that we would replicate that same mind as we look unto Christ in his humiliation, his exaltation, that we might be able to bring you and give you all the honor and praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His Glory and His Gospel.